Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. I guess I should introduce myself. Uh, if I haven't met you, if you're new or visiting or we haven't had a chance to connect, my name is Amanda. Uh, this is my husband, Rick, and he is the campus pastor here in Milton. Um, last week, we kicked off 2017 with a brand new series called Searching for Jesus. This is a graphic, and uh, I spent a little bit of time thinking that maybe this was like a searching for Where's Waldo. <laughs> I did confirm. He's wearing a brown hat and a green outfit. I did confirm <laughs> there is no hidden Jesus. So you don't need to spend your time looking at the graphic. You, you can zone in and, and focus on, on what we're doing. Uh, so during this series, we're actually going to be using an interview or kind of conversation style. So today, you've got both of us tag teaming up here. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at how the Bible how history, and even how critics of Jesus all verify his existence. So has anybody noticed the aroma that's in the church building today? <laughs> yes, oh. yes. So when I walked in, I immediately thought I grilled cheese. I see a cheese. visual coming in but, right but now. But if you look oh, at down the aisle here, oh, wow. it's actually fresh, break, baked, White is coming right baked there. bread. <laughs> yes. Oh, look at that. <laughs> right there. So today we're going to be seeing and <laughs> smelling and talking about bread. Um, and, you know, before people suffered with gluten allergies or got all <laughs> crazy on, like, these carb-free diets, um, bread was really a staple food. And people all around the world, all throughout history, have used, you know, this combination of flour and water to sustain their life. So today... One, as we kick off this series, we're going to be examining how Jesus described himself and what it means for us. So the first statement is found in John chapter 6, uh, verses 47 to 48. I'm going to read it here for you. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. We've heard this statement lots of times. We're smelling the bread, we're seeing the bread. But what does it really mean? Well, I wanted us to all be reminded of what real bread looks like, because most of us, who, who buys bread this way, like that, you, you, or you make bread that way? Who buys in a nice little baggie and it says Wonder or Dempster's, or if you're thrifty, it says True Value, because you've got a Walmart, right? Yeah. Most, of, most of us eat bread that does not look, smell, taste like this. So as we're looking at Jesus saying, I am the bread of life, he was not the Wonder Bread of life. There's... There's somebody in our, in our office staff, she runs, uh, she's one of our administrative assistants, and she eats, she's very healthy, we, she and I, we have wonderful conversations about healthy eating and all kinds of things, but her, her in-laws absolutely detest that bread, they like white Wonder Bread, that is the way that they want to eat their sandwiches, so when they come to visit, she buys a loaf of Wonder Bread, so last September, she buys a loaf, and they came over, and they, they had toast in the morning, and they were only there for one day, but she wanted to be the good daughter-in-law, so she did it, and they ate their Wonder Bread, and so then she wrapped it back up and put it in the cupboard for the next time that they were coming. Now, I don't know if there was family troubles, but they didn't see them again until Christmas, or no, <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't come back over to their house until Christmas, so this was Labor Day. In Christmas, 
she now goes to the cupboard to see how is the Wonder Bread doing in the cupboard. So she opens the cupboard, opens the bag. Ah, smells like Wonder Bread. So out comes the Wonder Bread, and she <laughs> serves some sandwiches, and it's great. And then, and then she goes, okay, now, like, they're just begging for a test at this point. So she wraps the Wonder Bread back up, puts the bread tag back on, leaves it on. It went past Easter last year. And if you know when Easter was last year, what was it, April? or It was like the last week of April. She had Wonder Bread in the cupboard from last September. <laughs> and then she goes, I don't know what this is happening, what this is doing to my cupboards or to my children's brains, so I'm getting rid of the Wonder Bread, and poof, it was gone. But it lasted for nearly eight months in the cupboard. Now, real bread is made every day. Wonder Bread lasts more than seven months. At least we, we know that. Real bread is full of fresh ingredients. It's good for you. It's satisfying. Wonder Bread, not so much. It's full of, full of preservatives that make it last forever. It's full of, full of sugar. It, you eat it, and it's like, well, this is good, but it leaves you wanting more. We're going to have some of this bread. Bob and Trudy have been down there getting ready some wonderful bread. We're going to taste it afterward. It leaves you wanting more and more of it. Wonder Bread is like, I'm not sure if I should eat any more of that. <laughs> it's made real bread. It's made with love. It's put, there's effort into it. It's, the other one, it's mass-produced for profit, right? Jesus in this statement, was not saying he was the wonder bread of life. Jesus wanted us to come to him daily. Just like bread is prepared daily and is something good for us, he wanted us to come every day because he loves us. And, and he offered us the ability to find our daily satisfaction, our daily fill from him. Now, our world, our culture, we look for something much more efficient than, I don't want to come back every day looking for the same thing, tasting. We want something we can mass produce, that we can stock up on, that we can have in our covers, that we can get our fill we don't want something that requires that kind of daily work and routine. We, and so sometimes when we, we can apply that to the wrong areas of our life, and we can even be doing that in our spiritual life. We could say, you know, I don't, I don't want to come to Jesus every day. I would rather fill up once or twice a month on Sundays. I would rather have a wonderful experience at some kind of church service, but then I can't really do this daily rhythm sustaining thing. And all of that is just based on culinary knowledge of bread and a little test that Suanne did in the Wonder Bread for eight months. That has nothing to do with actually why Jesus was describing himself as the bread of life. That's just something that we can take uh, away from looking at the two kinds of bread. So lots of times when we're reading the Bible in the year 2017, we're trying to understand it from a modern-day perspective. And we have to recognize that we're missing pieces because we don't really have a full picture of the context or the culture um, that it was written in. The people who first heard what was written in the Bible understood it differently than you and I because they knew what was happening historically and in, in the geography and in the culture of that time. So help us understand what was going on around Jesus when he made that specific declaration about being the bread of life. Absolutely. If you, if you have your Bibles, you're going to want to leave them open to John chapter 6 because we're going to have some of them on the screen but it's a long, long chapter, and we're going to bounce around a little bit, and not all of them will be there. So you want to make sure you have it, or you're going to be having it in your notes. Because if you open John chapter 6, and you start to read, it says that Jesus got into his boat, and he headed to the far shore, and he's on the Sea of Galilee. Now, does that mean much to anyone in the room? A few people. It means something to a couple of people you may have gone and visited there. For a lot of us, it doesn't mean a whole lot. So I want to throw up the map of the region of Galilee. Stuart, can we... Can we uh, put that up? So we've got, you know, we're talking the Middle East now, right? We're talking Israel. There's, uh, uh, Jerusalem is down south and west here. Here's, I, I know you can't see that unless you've got like magnifying glass on, but it says Nazareth right here. We know where Jesus was, uh, was, was um, 
his family's from. It's where he grew up in Nazareth. So we're just going directly across from Nazareth. We're not even close to the main city. So he's over here, and it says that he, he got into a boat, and he went across to the east side. Now, if you know this region, this is Judah. The 12 tribes of, of Israel are here, and Judah at the, at the north. And he's going across the sea, and this isn't even Israel. So the story that's about to take place, they're not even in their homes. They're going across the sea. Now, we're going to get back to this. Just so you know, it's about, it's about 15 kilometers, we think, from the widest point across. And this little stretch right here, we're going to go back to this in a minute. That's about seven kilometers. And to walk all the way around would be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 18 to 20 kilometers, which is you're going back and forth across Milton once or twice. And so Jesus gets in the boat on the west side where they lived, in the region where they were, goes to the east side where they didn't live. And Jesus begins to teach all day people, to, to the people about who God was. And he's, he's bringing different teaching because they had understood God in, 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 in a whole different way. And then he begins to teach them about, um, about how God loves them, how God knows them, how God is sending someone for them, how God knew their name. And, and he taught so, he was so engaging that people stayed there all day long. And literally they were in this, they were in this region and they were not at their homes. They had, they had walked all the way around the north side of the lake to listen to him because they chased him there. He wasn't even planning on teaching, but they chased him there when the, he and the disciples went across the lake. So he said, I'm going to teach you. And now the sun is starting to set. And they, the disciples go, Jesus, they've got an 18-kilometer walk back across the lake. They don't have any boats here. All they had was one little boat that just held them. How are we going to get all these people back across the lake? We need to send them now because they're going to have to eat. They're going to have to sleep. And if you know this part of the story, Jesus looks at them and he goes, well, you feed them. And they look around and they're like, there are 5,000 families here. There are 20,000 people all in this little region. They don't live here. How on earth are we supposed to feed them? And nobody brought food because they, they were chasing you. They wanted to hear you. You're this engaging teacher. And, and so then they said, well, let's go see if, if anybody was smart enough to bring food. And if you know this part of the story, there was one little boy, the only one that seemed to have food because kids don't go anywhere without snacks, right? You, we, I think we talked about this back in, uh, in, in the fall. If you're, if you're a parent, you're bringing kids, you are not, you're not even standing in line for half an hour without fish crackers or something, right? So this kid had three little loaves of bread and two, two pieces of fish, and that's all that was there. And so they pray, and out of those five out of those five pieces of food, Jesus and the disciples feed 20,000 people, which is an unbelievable miracle. They're eating magical bread, basically, at this point. And they had, fought, they had walked 18 kilometers to hear this guy, and now the sun's going down. Now, the disciples, they had a boat. They got back into the boat. 20,000 people see the only boat go back across shore. And we don't hear what happens to this crowd. The only thing we know is that they're there the next day. So that means they slept there. Where did they sleep? Not 100% sure where they slept. They probably crashed. They maybe just slept out under the stars. It's not like Canada in the snow and freezing. They're in, they're in the Middle East there. So they sleep there. And when they wake up in the morning, Jesus is gone. He's, he's not there. And if you, if, again, if you have John chapter 6 open, you'll see there's the feeding of the 5,000. And the Bible doesn't happen necessarily in, in chapters. Or, I mean, the Bible happens in chapters and verses. Life happens in days in real time, right? So they eat this food. Then he walks across the water, meets the disciples on the water, and they're going back to Capernaum. And Capernaum was at the north point of, um, of that map that we saw. Now, in Capernaum, 
that was the place where people went to buy bread every day. So if you wanted this lovely, wonderful, fresh-baked, yeah, that's right, if you wanted to eat bread, it, it, had the enti- it, it served the entire region with bread. And uh, Stuart's got that picture um, that we had up there, just that this is the size of Capernaum. It's like a giant farm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all it is. And if you'd like to see it, actually, um, many of you know Pastor Jeff. He was our associate pastor here for years. He's now working with First Century Foundations. And uh, they're going to lead a tour to Israel coming up in September. So watch for details for that. You can go and see all of these places. But one of the amazing things is when you go and see something like this, you realize, so when they say Capernaum, it's just this tiny little place. And in fact, the only thing that, that established it was that there was a bread factory there. So the disciples are there. The people are all now 18 kilometers away from their home. They had eaten magical bread last night. Jesus isn't there. And there's a rumor that he was in Capernaum. And they said, we got to go find out what's happening because we're hungry. We're really pumped up about Jesus. And we know where we have to go every day anyway. So it said that they got on boats that were coming from Tiberias. Now, that on that map, Tiberias is at the bottom of the lake. So it sounds like they all got into boats and went to Capernaum. So, so this is 5,000 families, 20,000 people. <laughs> Somehow, 5,000 families down boats. <laughs> get, from, get from here over to here, and they're hopping on boats in here. Again, it's not a giant, uh, it's not a giant distance to cover, but it is, uh, to, to walk there would have been 10 kilometers to get onto the boat. They, they hop onto the boat, they get into Capernaum, they're smelling fresh bread, they're hungry, they had just eaten magical bread, and then they look at Jesus and they go, what are you going to do next? Because <laughs> we're here at the bread factory, we're hungry, and we're ready to see you do your next trick. <laughs> so they look at him. But maybe they shouldn't have been so excited, because if you look in verses 26 and 27, Jesus kind of tells them off. He says, very truly, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves of bread and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And the key word we want you to take away from this, uh, from this first little piece is that sensationalism, the big, the extravagant, the, the show is a powerful motivator in our lives. When there's excitement, people gather around to watch it. They, 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 they want to know, if there's all this excitement, how can I benefit from it? What, what does this have it for me? People want to be a part of that. You know, I have watched more hockey this year than I have in the entire five, past five years, I think. I think I watched two or three hockey games over the Leafs or last year. You know why I've watched it this year? Because it's good, because there's absolute, there's players that are interesting. They're not losing seven to two every game. They've got one of the best players in the NHL on their team. I'm, I'm excited because there's a show that's going on. Sensationalism draws us. And I, I can speak for myself, but I'm sure many of you would agree that you know way more now about the United States politics because of the hype in the media <laughs> with the election than you ever did in the past. We had heard of terms like the Electoral College. No one knew really what it meant until it was like, there's a chance that they'll vote Trump out if we're... <laughs> like, I didn't even know about that, but there they were. And you know what, I've even, I've even sat down and watched a Netflix show of Gilmore Girls in Fuller House with Amanda at one point because I saw it tweeted everywhere that I'm supposed to watch these things. And I'm not advocating for them. <laughs> but another translation of John 6, 26 and 27 says, they're not looking because they understood the sign, 
They're just looking for another fill. They wanted to get on the bandwagon with Jesus and see the show. They were following Jesus. Why? Because it was fun. It was exciting. And the search for Jesus, this is our series. Sometimes it leads us to a selfish place. And we say, what can Christ, what can Christianity do for me? I have a need. I want to come to church. I want to be filled. I, I want to get something. I need some God to provide something for me. Or we say, I need to find a church that, that fits who I am and fits my style and makes me feel good. And you know what we end up doing in that way? We end up creating faith that's like a vending machine. And we go over to the vending machine and we go like, uh, what do I need at this point? Uh, I need a little rescue. So I'm going to go for row D or revenge. Yeah, I like that one. Like, God, can you, this person has been evil. Just send, smite them, Lord. I, I, read, I read that in the Old Testament that you smited people. I'm not 100% what that is, but I'm choosing row E. And we, and we come to faith and we say, God, this is what I need. And help me because, I'm ex- because I know you do these things and, and I know you've got power and I'm not, I don't 100% get it, but I want to be a part of the big show and I want to be a part of the excitement. And, and faith in God, he's God, we're people. It should not be about how I can relate to God. Now think, of, we're a very selfish society. We're a very egocentric society, right? We don't want to find a version of faith that meshes with the life that you and I have carved out. <laughs> we want to find a way that we can relate to we want to find the way that God wants to relate to us, not how I can relate to God. And this is what upset Jesus so much. They didn't really care about the depth of the message he was trying to impart to them. They wanted to see another cool trick because they were hungry. And, and, and at this point, Jesus turned the conversation around and he points out that actually none of you can even know God and come to God unless God calls you first. This isn't about you. This is about God drawing you. Here's what we read in John 6 and 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me, draws them, and then I will raise them up on the last day. Now, that statement right there should raise a whole bunch of theological questions about do we choose faith or does faith choose us? And we're not going to get into that this morning, and that's why we have our growth groups. And if you're not a part of a growth group, make sure you can connect with Leslie. Leslie, just give a wave. Connect with Leslie, and he'll make sure that you can connect. We've got um, about seven different groups meeting throughout throughout the community. Some have kids, some don't have kids, and if you can be a part of that. Some meet on Tuesdays, some meet on Fridays, some meet every other week. You can find one that meets your rhythm, okay? But what we do is we take what we've been studying on Sunday, and we, then we give more time to study a little bit extra teaching, a little bit extra discussion, and it's great stuff, and we start, we start getting into kind of the nitty-gritty that we can't get to in, in 30 minutes on Sunday morning. So we're going we're gonna to stay on track. Right. That's a, that's a good uh, growth <laughs> group plug there. Um, so we've got this story with all these people um, that have seen miracles. They're interested in Jesus, perhaps because they're being drawn to him, maybe just because of the hype. They're a little bit confused. Um, their motivation for following him is, is questionable, for sure. And it's the morning now. They've slept on the beach. Um, they're hungry. So I'm still curious, why did Jesus say specifically that he was the bread of life? Why didn't he use a different analogy? The fish were part of the miracles. He could have said, (laughs) I am, you know, like the fish of life. Um, They're on the sea. I'm sure there's a lot of other seafood that's that's around. Um, And there's been lots of other miracles. So why specifically the bread of life? Okay, so we we already looked at the fact that they're in Capernaum where the bread was made. So the analogy is going to be impactful for sure because they're smelling it. They're hungry. But there's a deeper lesson for bread. And for that, we have to go back to the beginning um, of, of Israel's history when the people were slaves in Egypt. And Moses leads them out of Egypt. And, and what we're going to see on this six-week series is Jesus very specifically chooses 
why he said, I am such and such. And some of it was to relate to where, exactly where a person was at. Some of them were to relate to a deep tradition and faith that was, that was rooted in who they were and how they related to God. And as Moses, uh, as Moses goes and the miracles are performed in front of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, get out of here because you're bringing like plagues on our country. People are dying. I don't even want to see you anymore. Just go away. I don't care where you go. Go out into the desert. So they're in the desert. They have no home. They're not 100% sure where they're going, and they have no way to provide. They're in, they're in the, they can't farm. They're in the desert. There's not wonder bread they can carry around that lasts for 40 years for them. They, they need to eat something. So what does God do? Every day, he, when the dew falls, there was manna that fell, and manna described as, as bread. Now, we know it's kind of squishy bread. If when you study it, it, it it's not going to taste exactly like fresh bread, but it was manna bread that fell every day. And what was that reminder? There was the reminder that God was going to provide because they couldn't collect enough for even the next day. Because if they collected for two days, then that bread would rot. So God said, go out and and get it one day. And then um, the next day, you're going to have to trust that I'm going to provide something new for you tomorrow. Because if not, it's going to rot if you collect two days worth of it. There was one exception. The day before the Sabbath, they could collect um, enough for two days. And that bread did not rot on the next day. That's right. So, so the bread, that, the bread b- before Sabbath looked the same, felt the same, but didn't rot. So we know that this is clearly a miracle provision by God. And this happens for 40 years. They're getting this bread. So what is bread? It's a symbol. God protects. God remembers us. God provides. In the middle of a circumstance that seems utterly hopeless, God doesn't forget. And Moses was the leader of the people at this time. He was revered by the people. And just like with any great leader, over time, if you're, if you're honoring a leader, if you love that leader, well, the story morphs about how important and impactful that leader is. And, and it became that Moses was the go-between for God and Israel. So Jesus steps up in this conversation, and he not only knocks down Moses as the one who was the, <laughs> as the, one who was the provider, he said, and even the bread that you saw was the symbol of your provision— don't look to bread anymore. I'm the one that God is providing. Let's look at verse 32 and 33. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and then gives life to the world. He's taking on Moses and the miracles that when they left Egypt, not in a wrong way saying, yeah, that was for that time, but now I'm the bread, I, and I'm not going to give you bread that, that just fills your bellies. I'm going to give you bread that gives life. And this is why the sign, there's the key thought there, is the sign had to be bread. It couldn't be fish. Jesus was making it very clear that this is the one and, and only time when the church was transitioning from a model where God was distant, where God kind of intersected the world every once in a while, and he was moving to a close, personal God that knew us, And loved us. And manna was the constant in the Jews' life. Every morning when they went out and they collected it, they relied upon it. It gave rhythm to their life. There was sustenance. It reminded them that that God was there. In 2017, in our world, we exist beyond bread, right? Like we most of us aren't just thinking, where's the bread that I'm gonna eat today? Because we've got a little bit more than that. But there are still things that fill our minds and fill our lives that that give this kind of rhythm and continuity. And the danger is that some of these things that we looked at, the provisions that God has given us, like we can clearly say, God, I'm thankful that I have a place to live. I'm thankful that I have 
ability to fill my cupboards with food. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my job. They have a danger of becoming too important. What's the thing that is on your mind when you wake up in the morning? The, the thing that like permeates your thoughts. So you go, when you wake up in the morning, this is what's on my mind. This is what I have to do. This is what I have to go looking. That was manna for the Israelites. For us, it's going to be something different. Maybe it's a relationship and you're thinking, this relationship is going well. This relationship isn't going well. But when you wake up in the morning, instead of thinking about God the provider, you think of the provision of the relationship. Or maybe it's a job, and it defines who you are, and you think, I've got to do this and this and this and this at work, and it's not about being the child of God that you were created. You're thinking about the income that, you've been, that you're getting from this job, not the one who can provide the income. I think for a lot of people, it would be uh, just your cell phone. <laughs> um, we have notifications and alarms and settings so that you know, we're not going to miss out. If somebody texts me, I've got to hear that little bing, or I'm going to get an email, I'm going to get a notification about that. There's studies um, looking at people's sleep habits. So many people, and especially uh, younger generations, are sleeping with their cell phones underneath their pillow because they, they just can't handle the thought of missing out on something. And so then they're, you know, they're not getting enough sleep because every time they roll over, they're taking a look at that screen, and it's really impacting um, their life. Now, I don't think any of us would rationally say that our cell phone is more important than God, but our habits sometimes are showing that. And Jesus faced that head on. And he was reminding the Jews that, guys, you were so thankful for how God provided for you, but you've made that too important. I'm telling you, Jesus, Jesus is saying this, I'm telling you, I'm replacing that. I'm the new provision that God has for, for you. And it bothered them that God might change the way he wanted to provide. It bothered them that, that God was going to change how he was going to interact with them. Change is difficult in any arena of life, but you can imagine how uncomfortable it would be for these people that something is changing about their faith. And, and the reminder there is that this was the one and only time that God changed the way that he interacts with us. He was changing. He, they had gone from a, a time of 4,000 years, sacrifices, distant God, to now for all forward that, that God's spirit was going to be close to them, that life was going to be available to them in the person of Jesus. This is the pivotal moment that we're, that we're seeing here, and that's why he's describing himself as the bread of life. So it's easy to see why there's some pushback from the crowd. They're uncomfortable, they're processing this, they're trying to wrap their heads around it. So, so far this morning, we've, we've kind of gone back and focused on how the culture received the message, and that helps us to understand the significance of the bread of life. So let's kind of go back to 2017 for a bit now. There's a lot of people in our culture who are, they're okay with the concept of a God. Some believe that he's maybe responsible for creation. Maybe he even interacts with our world from time to time. But a lot of people struggle with the concept of Jesus. This person that you're talking about is human and God. He did some fancy tricks with bread 2,000 years ago. He claims to be the one that gives life. So how are we going to react to this statement today? What's the appropriate response to Jesus saying that he's the bread of life? Sure. And when we get to the end of, of all of our uh, six series, six messages that looking at the I and statements of Jesus, we want to know what's the appropriate response today. And the principle of Jesus' challenge remains the exact same. None of us are here in church, at least I would hazard a guess, none of us are here in church because you ate magic bread from God. That, I'm guessing that's not why you're here. That's why, the dis that's why those people were there following Jesus. But most of us have a system of how we provide for our daily need needs. 
and we have different motivations for being in this room. And I talked about earlier the trap of following Jesus, looking to the church, looking to Christianity to see how can it make me feel better about my life today. Or maybe we're involved in a church because, you know, we like the idea that there's good in the community and I want to be a part of a place that uh, I think I may have just lost my, maybe I just lost my battery. We may be in, the, maybe in a place where um, we like how the church is doing something good. We like that our kids are learning the right principles. That, and it's important for us to our kids to hear about uh, who God is. But Jesus wasn't talking about personal benefits or he wasn't talking about that there has to be good. He was rocking the core of what they believed. And he was challenging them to understand how personal God is. They were so close, <laughs> but they, they had missed the amazing gift that God was trying to give them. Jesus is right in front of them, and he's offering himself as the re- revelation of who God is. They, they were going to receive bread that they could receive, and they would never feel hungry for God again. They would never feel like God's presence was far away if they would just receive him. And they were trading it all away because it was too hard to believe because what had been familiar felt better. And here's what it says in John 6, 41 and 42. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth? Remember, Nazareth is not far from this place where they're standing, a few kilometers isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose mother and father we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And we think about this passage. What's Jesus doing? He's pushing people really hard to make a difficult decision and draw a line about their faith. He challenged Moses, the hero. He says that nobody can believe in God unless God draws them. So he was taking away their rights to say, I believe or I don't believe. He's saying, no, no, this is about God drawing you through his spirit. And then he pushes it even further And he says that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, that's down in in verses verses 60 down and so, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Now that's a rather disturbing statement. Like that's not not something that was going to be received easily. But John 6 and 6, John chapter 6 verse 66, here's what it says. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Well, no kidding, they turned their backs and after those kinds of, after taking on Moses, after drawing the line, after making a statement like that. But Jesus is using a method of teaching here that the rabbis would use. They use extreme examples to prove a point. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, they said. If somebody asks for your coat, give them your shirt too. Was he being literal? No, they weren't being literal. They were saying, What's the principle underneath this? Unless you go all in and identify with the death and the resurrection of Jesus, unless you literally take who he is and consume him and begin to live it out, then you have no part in God's family. And I love our, I love our church. I love our campus because we have fun together and it's, a, it's, it's relational. There's consistency in our lives. We do good things in the community. We do have fun. It is a place where our kids learn good principles. But none of that provides us access into God's family. The search for Jesus lands us squarely looking this dilemma in the face. That only a sincere faith and a belief in everything that he said, everything that he did, that's the only way to be in God's family. And the key thought, your last one, fill in the blank this morning, is sincerity. To follow Christ is not easy. To follow Christ is to look around what the rest of the world will believe and say, 
Faith isn't about what feels good for me. Faith will be about what Jesus said it is. And faith isn't, Christianity can't be about what will be agreeable to the majority of society. Faith will be about what Jesus defined it. And if Jesus had said, trust me, or you can trust God and keep living the same way you have, live as best you can, but also figure out what works well for you, wouldn't that have been so much easier to sell church to someone if Jesus had been a little more inclusive and just said, this is good, and this is good, and this is good, and I love you all, so we're all good? Wouldn't that have been so much easier to invite someone out to church? Instead of saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and you have no part with God unless I call you. That's hard, man. <laughs> like, Jesus, why did you do that? Because he's teaching us a principle. Sometimes we get it wrong in church. We want to create a space that's so open and inclusive because we don't want to lose anyone. We want people to know that God loves them. We're afraid that that will make us lose numbers, lose dollars, lose influence. But listen, church, this was never designed to be a place that accepts any and all belief. Church was not designed to be. Christianity is not designed to be a place that accepts any and all belief. I'll tell you what it was designed to be. A place that accepts any and all people of any lifestyle and any belief who are open to examining the teachings of Jesus. It's not to come in and say, sure, you can be whoever you want and just reject Jesus. That's not Christianity. Christianity is, sure, come on in, whatever you are, whoever you are, however you live, whatever you believe, and examine, is what Jesus said truth? And will you sacrifice something about what you've known and how you've lived and how you've understood God? Will you let go of that and take on Jesus, who is the bread of life? who wants to give you daily presence and life constantly. Now that's a hard line that he drew. And that's why the Jews were so ticked off. They said, don't you dare tell me that I have to live differently. We have Moses. We have the prophet. We have a temple right there with a burning presence that reminds us that God's present. Don't you tell me I have to change my life and change how. And Jesus says, time out. Nope. It's, it's everything or it's nothing. So what's the appropriate response? establishing a worldview that Jesus is truth, that he is life, that he is the very message of love from God, and then trying our best to follow him, feeding on his words every day, his spirit. Wake up thinking about, how can I love God more? How can I give more of who I am over to him? How can I show other people that don't know him how much he loves them? How can I feed every day on the bread of life that is all-consuming? That's the appropriate response. Look at Peter's response in verses 68 through 69, after everyone else had left, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. <laughs> what a powerful example. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. So this morning, we want to give you some time. You may be in church and you're visiting or you've been following with us and... Um, You've never taken the time to say, I believe. I don't fully understand. My life definitely isn't perfect, but I believe, and I want to sacrifice my will, my right, my who I am to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. I believe you are who you said you are. We want to give you a chance to do that. We want to give people who you're here in church, and you wish that maybe Jesus wouldn't be so controversial, and you wish that he, he'd back off a little bit, but you're saying, you know, that's the thought that... Re- goes through your mind, but you just want to take some time and you just want to say, Lord, I'm going to feed on your word and every, and on your presence and on your life every day. And I'm going to sacrifice who I am to you.
because I want to become more and more like you. The team's going to lead us in a song that just says, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. And if there's anything in your life that has replaced Jesus as the sole focus and provider of life, just take some time and sacrifice that up and feed on the bread of life that is the Spirit of God that is available for us all today. Lord, thank you for a song like that that so appropriately expresses some of the thoughts that are going through our minds right now. We just want to say that you're the one that guides us, that provides for us. You're the only actual thing that we need. None of the stuff that we have, none of the places, we, nothing else can provide anything to us the way that you can. It's temporary. It's, it dies. It, it burns out. It, it goes away. It's, and it's even just something that's provided to us from you. And Lord, God, we confess this morning that there are, there's been times when we've looked the wrong way, when we thought, the, we thought that something else is, is an answer for us. God, when we've challenged you to say, I wish that this would fit better with who I am. And God, forgive us. And I thank you that in a moment we can just ask for forgiveness. And you don't hold it against us. And we're open our minds and our lives, Lord, that we say we haven't got it all figured out yet, but we are going to engage on a journey and every day we will wake up, we'll, we'll take the boat, we'll walk the 18 kilometers, we'll do whatever it requires to come and daily feed on the thing that's real, as opposed to just look for something that's easier, that's quicker, that we can access, that feels better. God, give us real life, give us real truth. We thank you, we ask us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <laughs>